Somebody get the door. Open the door. Mike. Mike. The door. Open the door. Tiffany. Tiffany, will you open the door? Mom, I'm busy. You open the door. What? What? Busy? You're watching TV. You're not busy. Open well, the door. It's not my friends. They're not coming over. Oh, not my problem. Ridiculous. ridiculous. Could someone please open the door? I'm on a business call and I can't keep getting interrupted. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Would one of our adorable children please go open the door? Levi, open the door. No. Levi, come on. Levi, I'm not expecting any Amazon today. Would somebody please open the door? Guys, I'm on the phone. Will someone please open the door? Mike, I am so tired of these kids. All they do, all they do is they just sit there and they're ones watching television. And you've been on a call every day this week, and all they do is like, I just don't understand. Can someone go open the door? I'm sure you've never experienced any of that at your house. I never experienced any of that at mine. Um, Just kidding, one of those was my children, so the no was quite right on, actually. (laughs) Uh, But isn't that true? We all get busy doing our own things, right? Doing things, we get focused on what we're doing, and we're just too busy to be interrupted. And just like that was in that family, Every single person in this room today, we spend our time, we spend our energy, we spend our money doing many things. Things that we need to do, some things that we want to do, and we put lots of effort into those things, and lots of effort into certain things in our lives like jobs, entertainment, fun, uh, health, clothes, school. I personally, I love adventure. So I would spend all my time, money, and resources on traveling. I would go to the next mountain range. I would go to the next ocean. I would go to the next country. That's what I would do. But have you ever stopped in the middle of all the things that you do and truly evaluated what you are putting your efforts into? And more importantly, are those things what you really need? So on your note sheet as you came in today, are those two questions. What are the things you put your time, money, and energy into? And secondly, are those the things you really need? Spend some time, whether it's with your family, those around you, your friends, if you just want to do it yourself, talk about those things. And we'll take about a minute to do that, and then we'll come back. For those online, those questions are, what are the things you put your time and money into, and what are those things what you really need? Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves.
I'm sure that wasn't quite enough time to do all of the talking you need to do, but those are good questions to ask. And it's good to talk about those things with your family. And uh, those are questions that we're going to get to because we're finishing our series on Revelation today. And we're talking about the seventh church in Revelation, so the last one, and that is Laodicea. And the reason I ask those questions is because Laodicea was actually confronted with those exact same questions. And so we're going to read through Revelation three fourteen through 17 right now. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say... I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. After first service, my wife reminded me that I was very negative today. And I said, well, Jesus was kind of negative to this church too. So, (laughs) warning. Beep, beep. (laughs) But let's take a moment and look at Laodicea. Uh, They were actually very wealthy. They said, I am rich, right? Well, it was very true of Laodicea. Here has a city that had everything they needed. They were so wealthy, in fact, that uh, they they had an earthquake in 60 AD, which is 35 years or so before the book of Revelation was written. And so in 60 AD, this earthquake came. It demolished the city. And when they went to rebuild, Rome offered to help them rebuild. Kind of like the United States, the federal government, would offer some money to support Uh, people who have gone through natural disasters, right? They do that here. Well, Rome offered that money to Laodicea to help them rebuild. And guess what they did? They refused it. They said, we don't need your money. They were very wealthy. They didn't need a thing from Rome. So that's pretty wealthy. They were also known for their fine clothing. So they had, they were known for this black wool clothing they had. It was very finely knit, they say, and it was so finely knit it was waterproof, and it was one of their highest trade things. So they they were uh, very wealthy partly because of this trade, but they made fine products there in Laodicea. And also, uh, Laodicea was also known for their medicine. And they were known especially for an eye salve, so this thing that they ground up and then they put it on your eyes and it was supposed to be this great medicine for your eyes. So Laodicea was doing very well. They had money, they had fine products, they had good medicine. They had it all, and like they said, they didn't need anything, and they certainly didn't need help from anybody like Rome. Well, we can't have it all, right? They they almost had it all. Turns out they actually didn't have a great source of water. Other cities did around them. There was a city a few miles away called Hierapolis, and Hierapolis had a hot springs. Has anybody ever sat in the hot springs or visited like hot springs, South Dakota? Yeah, like... It's fun, kind of. You sit in the hot springs, it feels good. Well, Hierapolis was known for their hot springs, and it was known for their medicinal qualities. And so that was, they had this great water source, and it was this very uh, functional, useful water for that city. And then a few miles away on the other side was the city of Colossae, which had uh, what they were known for their drinking water, because their water came off the mountain, and it was pure, it was fresh, it was clean and cold. And so uh, Colossae had really good drinking water. But then there was Laodicea. They didn't have a good source of water at all. So what did they do? They piped it in. 
They piped in on an aqueduct, you know, water, there are pipes that carry water. And archaeologists have found that they, it looks like they piped it in from five miles south of the city. And five miles south of the city was this hot springs with lots of minerals in the water. Um, and in this, 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 these aqueducts, the pipes that carried the water, every so often was a clean out where uh, the, they would have to clean out all the minerals because it was very mineral laden water. And so every so often they'd have to clean out the pipes because it was kind of dirty. So what happened is, five miles away, they piped in this water to Laodicea. It was kind of dirty, and the closer it got, it just filled up the pipes. And then by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. So, it wasn't uh, that great of water. Um, Archaeologists say that, uh, they have suggested that probably it wasn't drinkable, and probably the only useful the use for the water was the wool clothing industry and it was not good to drink. So I'm guessing it was water kind of like this. Um, Does anybody want to drink this water before I tell you where I got it? No? Nobody nobody take me up on that? Um, It's from a pond. Um, Think, you know, nature park in August. Uh, You know, it's kind of like that. The nature park actually has signs, do not eat the fish or swim in our ponds, right? It's not good for drinking. You can kayak on it, but um, you'd kind of want to spit it out of your mouth if you drank it, right? You wouldn't put it in your mouth. And that's kind of Laodicea. They had, they were very wealthy, they were rich, they had nice things, nice clothing, they had good medicine, they had bad water. And what does Laodicea say, or what does Jesus say about them? He says, I know your deeds. I know you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So Jesus tells the the church in Laodicea, look, I know what you do. I know that you have all this wealth. I know that you consider yourselves completely able to take care of yourselves. But because of this, because of that, you've actually pushed me out of everything that you do. Your hope is actually in those things and not in me. And because of that, he said, I know what you do and your deeds, they don't mean anything. They're worthless. Now, he says, if I were a part of what you would do, if I was a part of your church, you could be hot. I wish you were hot, like the hot springs in Hierapolis because then you would be at least good for medicinal qualities. You'd be good for something. Or he said, I wish you were cold. I wish you were cold like the, the water from Colossae because you'd be pure and fresh and refreshing and you'd be good to drink. But I'm not part of what you do. And because of that, you've pushed me out and now your water looks like this. You're lukewarm. And you're good for nothing. You've pushed me out and not invited me in and what you do is worthless just like your water. And so he says, I will spit you out of my mouth Because, guys, a church whose hope is not in Jesus really isn't a church. Now, the the Laodiceans thought they had what they needed. They said, I am rich. (laughs) I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But they didn't understand it was that exact attitude that causes Jesus to say, but you do not realize, actually, that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You think you are rich, 
but you're poor, you have nothing. You think you can see, remember the eye salve that they had? Oh, you think you can see so great, you've got this good medicine, but you're blind. Oh, you think you have such fine clothes? No, you're naked. And why does he say that? Because, because Jesus is not where they were placing their hope. Everything they had and what they were doing and the great things they thought they were doing was where they were placing their hope and what they found their value in. But all that stuff was meaningless to Jesus. And so this is what he said in Revelation 3.18. He says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So Jesus is saying that all that stuff that you think you have, it means nothing. There is no hope in it. And the only way to change that is to get what you need from him. Now, remember, the problem is not in what they had or what they were doing. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to make money. That's fine. The problem was, in this life, if we put our hope in those things, we're going to be disappointed. He promises you that. And second, those things that you find value in in this life, that you put all your energy into, in eternity, they don't mean anything. The Laodiceans were putting their hope in themselves and what they had. They thought they had it all. Earthquake, no big deal. We'll rebuild. Can't see? We've got a salve for that. Now, what's the problem with that attitude? Well, there's quite a few problems. There's three big ones. One is, if you put your hope in money, everybody say money. If you put your hope in money, well, there's some things that can happen. You can lose a job. You can rack up medical bills. You could suffer from some teensy bit of inflation, which could, you know, possibly happen. Nobody suffered from inflation in this room, I'm sure, this year. You could suffer from swings in the stock market, which, you know, that could happen, right? But let's say for the sake of argument that money will always be there. It'll always be there for you, and you'll always be able to buy what you need. But the truth is, money never could and it never will be able to buy what you really need, which is a relationship with Jesus and payment for our sin. The Laodicean church said, I am rich. I've got all this money. And Jesus says, oh no, without me you have nothing. Because he is the only thing that can pay for your sins. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't put your hope in money. How about you put your hope in nice things? Everybody say nice things. Sometimes it's the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the phones we talk on, the house that we live in. Right? You put your hope in those things? My first thought with that is if we do that, I look back at the pictures and videos that I saw of the devastation in some communities in our country this year when tornadoes came through where complete communities were flattened. And all of this stuff, the nice things, was gone in an instant. So is our hope gone in an instant too? 
But let's say for the sake of argument that our things we have will never go away and we can fill barns with all of our stuff. But can those things cover your sin and shame? Can those things make us holy? Jesus says, buy white clothes from me to wear and take away your shameful nakedness. What he's saying is that the white garments of salvation found in him alone is the only way to cover our sinfulness, our shamefulness, and our nakedness. We can't buy anything, wear anything, drive anything, or live in anything that can hide our sins. But Jesus' death on the cross gives us the garment of white that can take away our sins. So we can't put our hope in money. We can't put our hope in nice things. Is your hope in your health? Everybody say health. Now, if normal sickness and death don't do it for you, a couple years of living in a pandemic kind of brings to light how life can change in an instant. But let's say for the sake of argument that you'll always have your health. The Laodiceans were proud of their medicine. Their eyes salve can make you see. But I've got some news for you. The Laodiceans, at the end of the day, guess what? Every single one of them died. Who's this negative Nancy on stage today? Take him off. We want Aaron and Steve back. Right? Guys, they all died. And guess what? I want you to raise your hand. Everybody in this room, if you think you're going to die someday, raise your hand. I hope you're all raising your hand because you're going to die someday. Truly, get this guy off the stage. He's negative. I hate to tell you guys, you're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. So now what? Is our hope in our health? What are we going to do? Jesus has more. He has for us eternal life that no medicine and no doctor can ever give us. Because it's not medicine that keeps us from death. It's Jesus. So now what? What do we do? How do we get what we need? Jesus continues in Revelation 3.19. He says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. He says, Here I am. I stand at this door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Church, he rebukes those he loves. And so Jesus is saying, I love you. But what you're putting your hope in and what you think you need in this life isn't going to give you what you think you need. So he's saying it's time to repent. It's time to change where you put your hope. And because I love you, I am standing here and knocking. And if you open the door, I will come in because I love you. I'm here at your door because I love you and I know what you really need. Jesus knows what we need. If you have never opened the door to Jesus in your life, 
Maybe you didn't know that you needed him. If you have opened the door to Jesus in your life, but a lot of other pursuits have pushed him aside, maybe you forgot. But Jesus knows what you need. He knows that all the things we're doing in our lives to keep us busy and distracted, he knows that those things we seek, they're going to disappoint us. He knows those things are hopeless in this life and the next. That's why he tells the Laodiceans all of these things. He's not disciplining because he hates them. He's disciplining because he loves them and he wants them to know this is going to disappoint you. He knows what we really need is him. What we really need is Jesus. Say, I need Jesus. We need him, guys. And here's what Jesus says we've got to do. He says, repent. We need to understand that we need Jesus in every area of our life. So we need to look at our lives. Like I had you do earlier, what are we doing in our life? What are we seeking after? And can we honestly say that the things that are at the top spot in our life, the things that get the priority of our time, our money, and our resources, can we honestly say say those are the things that we need? Can we say, you know... If I just had this house, that would give me what I needed. We talked about that. It's going to disappoint. If I was just really, really good in this sport, that'll give me what I needed. It's going to disappoint. Is Jesus your hope or you're putting your hope in something else that's going to disappoint you in the long run? So we've got to repent and then we have to listen. Because Jesus is always knocking at our door. He loves us, so he's always knocking at our door and he's speaking to us. Because out of his love, Jesus is pursuing us. He knows what, he's need, what we need. And he's always asking, can I come in? The question is, are we going to listen? Sometimes we get busy and distracted and we don't listen. So do we take time to listen? Have you asked him ever what part of your life is closed off to him? This next one's hard for me. Because as preachers preach, they usually get worked on themselves, right? Do you already know what Jesus is knocking and speaking to you about? But you're still keeping him waiting at the door. So we've got to repent. We've got to listen. And then we have to open the door. He promises he will come in if we open the door. He's already standing there. We don't have to wait for him to come to our neighborhood. He's there. He just says, open the door and I will come in. And I'll sit and eat with you and you with me. And then you'll have everything that you need. Now we saw earlier this family so caught up in their things and their pursuits that they missed what was most important. What they really needed. What they missed was just standing outside the door knocking. So let's see what happens. I mean, really, Seriously? those kids have time. I can't, you open the 
I know you're on the phone call. But if I don't get the 20 minutes I need to get, I'm going to go insane. I don't. Is that a fat joke? I'm just really sick of your attitude. I mean, you're here. You're trying to get your work done. I know. And we're trying to give you space. And we're trying to give you room. But I'm. Now you may be thinking, Ryan, if there was somebody knocking at my door, I would open the door. Come on. But be honest with ourselves and ask, have we opened the door to Jesus at all in our life? Are there places in my life where I've not opened the door to Jesus? Where are we putting our hope? It's important to stop and ask ourselves these things because I think when you take the time to stop and look, just like this family did, all the things that were keeping them busy, when they were standing in the presence of Jesus, it stopped. Because what happens is, guys, when we compare all of our other pursuits, our wealth, our fine things, our health, when we compare all of that to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, he's going to make all of that look like lukewarm water. Undrinkable, wretched, pitiful water in comparison to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says you have nothing without me. But Jesus says, in John, 14, or in John 4, 13 and 14, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to give eternal life. So what is it that you think you need? Because what Jesus offers will always satisfy Always, it will never disappoint. It will always remain. And when all the other stuff is gone, because if you don't get anything else today, you're probably going to go home and say, he said we're going to die. Right? When everything else is gone and you've died, where is your hope? Don't stop there when you listen to this sermon. Keep on going. Open the door to Jesus. He's there. He's our hope. He's knocking on the door. And he says, I will come in. That is our hope. He will come in. So just open the door. Because Jesus is all you need.